Give us a coming up next, Brandon. Coming up next, the bookening reads, that hideous strength. <laughs> Jake, you can do better than that. Coming up next, modernism sucks. Also, Merlin rides bears. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Doesn't he ride a bear? I, no. I was just helping Jake. Where's the horse? <laughs> to the book and ning my name is nathan Albers, and i am your humble and obedient host so humble so obedient on last episode i told you the story of how i became humble and obedient so if this is the first episode that you've ever listened to you should go back to that episode and listen to find out the story of how i became so humble and obedient spoiler it was through a series of catastrophic failures i think that's how most people become humble and obedient wouldn't you agree brandon chastine phd abd i would nathan have you ever experienced a catastrophic failure in your life numerous numerous <laughs> <laughs> You're here. Care to tell us about any? Off air. Off air. (laughs) Perhaps this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This may well be my cast. (laughs) We are now going to move to the second person that's here. One of my good friends. A guy that I like quite a bit, except for when I don't like him and I'm really angry with him, which happens about once a week. It is a function of your love for me. It is a function of, yeah, as we know. This is sweet, guys. (laughs) (laughs) People that I don't love, it's just like there's some guy in Siberia right now that I don't love. and Who cares? Yeah, who cares? He could be dead for all I know. But you are not in Siberia. You are here. Your name is Pastor Jake Mensel. You are the pastor who's a master of reading. How are you, Jake? I'm doing extraordinarily well, Nathan. I want to peel that onion and see what's underneath. Nothing except what is extraordinary and what is well. Brennan, let's peel your onion. Are you doing well? (laughs) Catastrophic failure. Yes, I'm doing well. Brennan? Yeah. I believe you. Good. As you should. I'm certainly not trying to prevent you from digging deeper. No. Yeah, no. No. Definitely not. Yeah. The deeper I dig, the more I'll find that you're doing well, right? Yeah, that's all you'll find. Yeah. Beneath all the depth, you're very shallow. Yeah. No maggots. (laughs) No nothing. (laughs) Brandon, because I have such high regard for you, I'm going to let you introduce our special guest. Do we have a Do we have a nickname for him yet? Does he has a special title? He can't be the pastor. That's the master of reading because that's Jake. He's the pastor who's dean of Clear Note Pastors College. That doesn't sound very catchy. The Reverend. Mm. He's the dean who's seen some wisdom. I don't know. (laughs) He's the dean who's seen some mean wisdom. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, What else? Come on, Jake. How about the sinister minister? No, the sinister minister. He is, in fact... Let's hear it for the sinister minister, Pastor Stephen Baker. Pastor Stephen Baker, how are you, sir? Awful. Oh, oh, okay. Can I? Let's. I'm going to peel this onion and see if we can get to something a little better. Maggots. Oh shoot! What underneath the maggots? Grubs. Um. All right, guys. Enough dilly dallying. Stephen, what was Lewis trying to get at with the characters of the people at Saint Anne's and who they were and what they represented? You've got Jane and Mark, kind of as a mirror of of each other and their process of conversion. You've got every character at the nice has its counterpart in in St. Anne's, right? So you've got the Dr. Philostrato, you've got Dr. Ironwood, right? And and if you just kind of line those down, you can you can tell that there's he's doing that on purpose. There's kind of their antipode, you know. Yeah. The, well, one of the interesting things to me is that all the bad guys at the NICE are 
academics, but all the good guys at, at the St. Hans are academics too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the one guy at the NIC who gets murdered, uh, Hingist, is the only real scientist in the whole bunch. Um, what kind of a doctor is Dr. Dimble? Or what kind of a, what, what's his field? Dimble is literature. He's literature, okay. Yeah, yeah he would be. Yeah, so he's literature. So you, you've got... Uh, it's just, and you can lay those out and look at them, and people do that. But um, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, just what do they represent in general? So they have their counterparts. Well, the academics. Yeah. They're academics. They're the good guys and the bad guys are both academics, but they're very different kinds of academics. The the one good guy who's the guy who gets killed because he leaves the NIC is the only. You read when it talks about Hengist, right? The guy who gets murdered. Um, he's the only real scientist of the bunch. And so this is important because Lewis is not against science. He's against scientism. He's against this fake science. He's against um, this spiritualized kind of weird, uh, you know, the pseudoscience of social, not socialism. Sociology. Sociology, yeah. Yeah. At St. Anne's, they're real academics, but they're philologists. You know, Ransom is a philologist. He's a language guy. That's what, that's what Tolkien was. You know, Dimble, he's a literature guy. What's the other guy's name? rationalist guy well mcphee of course mcphee and the interesting thing about mcphee he's yeah he's he's the skeptic and his he mentioned several times that his grandfather or his father or his uncle or who was the uh, moderator of the Gen- general assembly of course that's talking about the presbyterian church in scotland <laughs> he's a presbyterian and there's this little joke in there when uh, he begins to talk about being becoming a Christian at the very end. I think it's right. It's after. It's like the the dinner afterwards, and he and he says, "Well, I'm never going to become what you are, Ransom. Of course, Ransom's an Anglican because my father or whatever it was was the moderator of the General Assembly, you know. And so he's a Presbyterian. It's just <laughs> funny. Um, Is that actually a slam against Presbyterians to have him be the weird, cold idea rationalist guy? Is that it like could a, well be? Is that what a Calvinist is? And well, it's a it's a friendly slam. Yeah, because obviously. Obviously, I mean, McPhee is one of the most, what's the word? He's one of the most attractive characters, yeah. I would say. Outside of Ransom. Yeah. And then what's also f- fun, it, I think it's obvious, and this is probably pretty obvious, it's playing off the Arthurian Knights oh, of the Round Table yeah. with Arthur being Ransom and the other characters being his knights. And they come so, to him. Yeah. He, you know, it's God, then, God's providence is who is, is what is orchestrating that company yeah and then you have that's what and it's all egalitarian yeah that was a weird touch what was with the egalitarian thing the the, it's both egalitarian but also i mean who's going to question ransom right sure yeah that was just an interesting like why did lewis think to include the we alternate the house the chores thing like what well what he says is the men and the women can't do them together because they fight so it's actually not egalitarian at all no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, no, it's not. Why do the men? It's, it's only egalitarian the in the sense that class seems to be removed. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not egalitarian in the modern sense of sex. Right, but no Jane's way. an idiot for not respecting Mrs. Mags and taking as long as she does to realize. Oh, she's one of the. She's, she's not the, just the, the maid. She's one of the people here. Yeah, Brenda, do you want to? Uh, what do you want to say about the Arthurian stuff? What do you think well, Lewis's I mean, understanding of it would have been, or um, what's? What, why does that tie in? Why go? Why go the Arthur route? And, if this is a fairy. <laughs> tell for the british mind there's no better way to go than the arthurian legend with its deep roots in the celtic origins of britain with arthur and the fact that he had died but not died and was going to come again the once and future king yeah and then with merlin being buried and coming again him they're going to come when britain needs them to come to save them. And so it's his way of saying and it's interesting like you said that these knights are all academics they're good academics he he comes at a time when the crisis is not a big outward crisis but a crisis of the mind which would eventually lead to the big outward crisis 
And so they kill, they stomp on the root before it can grow. And so, yeah, it's his way of nodding and playing with this Arthurian legend in a way that I think effectively ties up his trilogy. Was he reading Arthur? Was he adding his own spins to Merlin and to all those characters? Or would you say that's pretty straight out of the... Merlin is a weird character in this book. <laughs> I mean, he's a... He's also a weird character. and He's, he's also a weird, weird character. character. Yeah, he is so a weird I don't character. Think he's really... But Lewis has a very specific conception of him as... Well, he's a Christian. He's a druid. He's a Christian. Pagan. He's yeah. a Christian druid. Right. Yep. He's a Christian who, you know, is is honestly a believer yeah. in in Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can see Tolkien all over his understanding of the Arthurian it's, legend. It's because, this whole thing about magic, yeah. that's a huge point. And you see that in Tolkien as well. So you, so you see this magic, you see this, you see the bad magic and you see good magic. Yeah. But so the bad magic is the NIC, it's the manipulation for, for our own ends you know, of of the physical world and the spiritual world. That's bad magic. The the good magic, but he says, you know, it's kinda good, but it's it was probably okay back then, but maybe not quite. But you know, he gets back all, in a time before, you know, you things are getting sharper and sharper and right. different, you know. And Merlin comes from a time when things were more blurry and gray. Yeah, more blurry. But yeah. the but the magic that Merlin has is is kind of the the magic of uh, Gandalf. I mean, it's different. Doesn't, Gand- he, doesn't he even make explicit reference to Tolkienisms to like to, Numenor. to Numenor and to yeah, it's Atlantis. It's it, all yeah. Atlantean. Well, that's, you know, that's all Numenor. Yeah, tether. Yeah, and and so there's this way of this earth kind of earth magic, but it's not. It's just a natural. It's it's natural. It's a natural use of the powers that are in the earth itself. Yeah, it's Lewis's way of also tying this his version of Merlin to like the Beowulf sagas, and huh. so um, because Beowulf has a lot of that. The Christian poet looking back on a pagan time and redeeming it with his poetry. And then, um, so Merlin, he's re-envisioned by um, Lewis as having these Christian roots and and a very pagan but Christian understanding of the world. Incredibly pagan enough that the bad guys would be trying to dig him up to... Yeah, it's ambiguous enough. Yeah, and so um, you could argue that there's some of Lewis's... um, Universalism. Universalism in there. Yeah, but Merlin is a Christian. Yes. It's not ambiguous about that. He is a Christian. Yeah, and so Lewis, his, his take on the Arthurian legend is very rooted in the Celtic, weird, strange, otherworldly versions of Arthur. We get the French romanticized versions. Mallory is yeah. that, yeah. So a modern writer who's done that at the real real popular level would be uh, Stephen Lawhead. I don't know if you guys know who he is. I've, I've seen his books <laughs> You've seen his stuff. He's yeah. kind of a Christian-ish fantasy writer, but he yeah. does a lot of Ar- Arthur stuff. And he, he does exactly, he takes really what kind of is in seed form in this book with Merlin and makes whole runs with that in terms of the timing of, Ar- of Arthur and Merlin, the kind of stuff that's going on, and, yeah, w- uh, and puts a Christian spin on it. Okay. You know, oh, I heard of it. It's, yeah, it's interesting. I would say for someone who's reading this book, if you think of Merlin and you think of Arthur, typically the way that we understand Arthur and Merlin, through like the sword and the stone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and through Alfred Lord Tennyson and these versions, they're the French romanticized versions. And their Arthurian legend is fascinating, the way it, it got married with a lot of the French romantic poets, Chrétien de Troyes, and Chrétien de Troyes, however you say their name <laughs> coming out of france with their lays and tells of knights and romance and then they got joined with the celtic weird stories about a grail and about knights losing their heads and coming back to life and you know then that would become sir gawain and the green knight and so it had all these deep strange roots and you see that especially here with lewis the um sort of deep magic that's slightly um, it almost seems satanic 
But it's it's earth, it's pagan, yeah. but it's it's not so connected with with the demonic yet. It is yeah. capable of being so, sanctified yeah. somehow. I think that somebody reading this book for the first time might be confused by the version of Merlin here. If you're not familiar with the Celtic Merlin as opposed to... The magician Merlin. That's the whole thing. I mean, a lot of Christians are very uptight about, like, say, the Lord of the Rings, because the Lord of the Rings has magic in it, the Lord of the Rings has wizards in it, and there's no kind of ability to distinguish between the good, quote-unquote, magic, which is not really magic at all. You know, Gandalf is not a magician. He's not a manipulator. He is able to use powers that he has because that's who he is, and that's what Merlin is. He's not and, a conjurer and, of genius. He's not, yeah, he's not, yeah. But the bad guys, you know, Saruman in The Lord of the Rings is a is a downright magician. He, he's manipulating its its spells. It's it's a whole you know. There's a clear difference between the two, and that's that's the same difference that is in that hideous strength. It's the difference between Merlin and the materialist magician of the NICE. Well, the the bad magicians are always trying to mess with something that God has made secret or kept to Himself. And exactly, good magicians are just and to manipulate it for their own ends. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it actually is. Is the same, not to get into all this. It's what makes a real problem with the, uh, you know, the, all those books. Harry Potter? Yeah. The, the, Harry, the magicians of Harry Potter are the bad kind, period. So Harry Potter would be put to death in the Old Testament, but Yandalf wouldn't. That's what I'm taking yes. from this. You can't put an angel to death. Right, that's true. This is awesome. Harry Potter slam. I love it. Christians are either, oh no, that's all bad, or they're like, oh no, Harry Potter's great. We don't want our kids learning the kind of magic that Harry Potter represents. That's my opinion. That'll be our third t-shirt. Um, <laughs> that's my opinion? Yeah, that's my opinion. Hey, that's my opinion. Opinion of the special back. <laughs> uh, let's see here. What was with that rationalist dude, McPhee? What was, what was his... He plays that... He's a really stock character, right? That guy the who's... The skeptic. The skeptic who's going to turn everybody out to honest. be the most loyal and true to the end. The guy that you really want on your side. You know, the guy that's going to throw in and yeah, turn out to um, be the most valiant. But it's not, he's not, it's not his emotions. No, it's because it's the right thing to do and he's just going to do it. In the new Star Trek movies, he's... Uh, is it the Scotty... Beam me up, Scotty character. Kevin Burke? No, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Forget that. Yeah, there is some is similarity, a kind of but... a Scotty character. You know yeah. who I'm talking about? That guy yeah, who yeah, plays Scotty? You can't say in the new Star Trek, he's the beam me up Scotty character. That doesn't narrow it <laughs> no, down. No, no, the Scotty. <laughs> the Scotty. Okay. okay. Yeah, I can't remember the actor's name. Uh, Simon Pegg. There you go. Solid Irish brogue. He questions everything you do. But in the end, he's, he's going to Scottish, not you. Irish, for crying out loud. Yeah, Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. His name isn't Irie. Irie. <laughs> Irie. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's gonna whine about everything, complain about everything, and he'll be the first person to lay down his life for the whole team. And it's a it's a good character. It's a good stock character. Mm-hmm. To he's have like Gimli in those wonderful team. Peter Jackson movies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he is the Gimli of this. <laughs> Bring me a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> the movie Gimli. Um, you can definitely, Lewis is one of those writers, and I wouldn't say every writer is like this, you can definitely tell who it is that Lewis admires in life and who he hates <laughs> from oh, yeah. his books. Like, they're just perfectly, you know that he was probably getting revenge on some people, you know, by including them in certain novels yeah. or stories. He had some, That's the writer's prerogative, He had some man. bones to pick. And yeah, some, had people in mind. They yeah. would have known themselves if they read it. You just crushed me with an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> the gore. <laughs> It'd be fun when we read the Inferno because Dante did that all the time. Absolutely, everybody's in hell. Well, like, yeah, (laughs) and and you can make a case for the point that the whole Ransom trilogy is basically the Inferno, or it's Dante. It's absolutely 
you know, speaking of Dante, um, but backwards, he's, he's, he's wrapping all that in. I mean, this is, this was his world. The stuff that he had to work with was that stuff. And he, and he does use it all over the place. Absolutely. Let's talk about nice. Uh, well, let's just dive in. Who are nice? What do they represent? Anybody? Everything that's bad. Everything that's bad. There we go. That's a wrap. <laughs> Science. Well, Scientism. This, this is where, Scientism. If, if you want to just see Lewis clearly lay out what he fears and thinks is evil, you should read a wonderful essay, which I, which if you're intelligent enough to read it, like I am. Insophisticated. Insophisticated enough. The Abolition of Man. And basically what he talks about, let me see if I can take all that intelligent stuff and just narrow it down for the As people. only a very intelligent man As could. only, yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm not going to be able to do it. What's the Abolition of Man about, guys? <laughs> uh, he Something starts about by talking about... Chests. He, he starts by, with a school book. I'm not going to give the whole thing, but I think it's nice the way he starts it. He starts nice. it by talking... Yeah, get it? Mm-hmm. Pun, hashtag nice. Uh, he starts with uh, talking the green about book. a modern school book, a primer for young boys. It's all about the language. And it's all about the language that they use. And he talks about how they don't distinguish between good emotions and bad emotions between feelings having any relation to reality what i'm not doing a good job jake what's the evolution of man about virtue Thank it's you, about jake. virtue ask the ninth third brendan what's the evolution of the dow the dow it's the dow no it is the dow you're right it's the dow jones the dow jones okay that was the dow jones it is chinese after all it's about men without chests it's about objective truth yeah it's about postmodernism. It's postmodernism before there, it, had a, it had a title. Right. That's what it's about. It's right. about the language. It's about creating your own reality. Yeah, it's about how modern thinking tears out your sense of innate right and wrong, mm-hmm. like Jake was saying, virtue. Virtue, yeah. And so it kills the Tao. Right. The way. The way. And he actually yeah. ends in it a very... You to it. And... He describes the plot of that hideous strength, but he's not joking or telling a fairy tale. At the end of that essay, the way he ends is he says, if we take away all objective truth, if we take away all virtue, all that's going to be left is the strong and the weak and the people that control us, and they won't have anything to base their control mm-hmm. of us on. America. Yeah. Besides their whims besides their whims and that's what you see and they may think that they're appealing to rationalism by getting away to science they may think that there's something hard by using jargon by using jargon but at the end of the day all they're gonna have is what do they feel like doing whatever they want and that's a really scary thing to be especially when you couple it with the scientific advances that lewis saw coming through world war one which as we've said before was a horribly destructive terrible conflict and world war ii by the time yeah these are written that's right yeah you know to call it a fairy tale which he did, I think we should be careful not to minimize it. Nothing that he really gets at in this stuff is fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's all very real. It's here we are today. Well, expound on that. How are, how are we here today? I haven't seen anybody get trampled by an elephant at any time. I've, nobody's been trying to dig up Merlin. <laughs> what on earth can you be talking about, Stephen? <laughs> Scientism. Scientism? You mean like, uh, what's that black guy's name? Person Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And Bill Nye the Science Bill guy. Bill Nye the Science Bill guy. Bill Nye the, the non-science guy. Bill Nye the Science guy is actually a pretty good example because Bill Nye the Science guy has been quoted in publications saying things like, you know, maybe people that don't believe in uh, environmentalism should be jailed. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you, I mean the whole pr- the whole modern Good job, guy. You have an elect degree in electrical engineering, and you had a kids' TV show in the '90s. Yeah. <laughs> Say whatever you feel like. <laughs> right. uh, he's he's Jules. He's the 
this idiot buffoon that everyone kind of tolerates, you know, the, the guy who's the supposed head of the NIC. Right. He's the public figure. He's the figurehead that all the real scientists despise. He's just an idiot. I had an astronomy professor as an undergrad who was just a teaching professor. He wasn't an actual researcher. And he would try to get the, this following of honor students to just fawn over him. It's just like, well, you know, it's because you're not really a scientist. What else do you have to do? <laughs> You've got to try and make yourself feel important somehow. Well, so the the scary stuff in the book has to, that is real, very real. You've got the, all the philosophies that are that are working, but the control of the media. Like I said earlier, man, you can't read the newspaper or watch any of the news net, networks and not r- see what's going on after reading. Uh, that hideous strength. Then you get into the treatment, you know, the 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 penology, the 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 punishment of crime that the NICE and the, the in the NICE police is in in for. That is exactly what we do. It's exactly what we do. What's the word they use? Um, reconditioning, rehabilitation, rehabilitation. Right. That is exactly the modern view of how to deal with crime. You rehabilitate. What does that mean? Uh, You know, what's so terrifying about that is it leaves it, there's nothing objective about it. It's all purely subjective and purely up to the decision of the people who are, you know, so you've got... Doing the rehabilitating. Yeah. You know, I was reading the other day about uh, mandatory life sentences. There are people in jail today, literally, there's a list of these people in jail today for for life. One of them for possessing stolen wrenches, one for stealing a, a woman's lunch out of her car, you know, because of these kind of mandatory, you have three strikes, you're out kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's awful. You know, the whole penal system is completely godless, but it all hinges on this modern science of sociology. People are basically good. We can reshape them. We can rehabilitate them by these outward influences and education, all this kind of stuff. It is what has produced the modern prison system. And it's awful. And certainly the modern education system. And it's ex- ex- exactly the same thing the modern education system. Yep. The public education system. I mean, this stuff is everywhere. The stuff that that Lewis saw coming. And it's interesting, you know, Lewis makes fun of modern education all the time. He does it in The Abolition of Man. Certainly. He's talking about the textbook. He does it in one of the Chronicles of Narnia books where it begins with the kid at the school. I'm not sure which one that is. The one where they end up like... It's one of the modern schools. They get a chance to beat up all the bullies when they Yeah, isn't it the one with uh, Edmund? Or not Edmund, Eustace, uh, I think. Eustace, yeah. Yeah. Eustace and uh, Jill. Yeah, Yeah, because it's all... it's the modern experimental school. And you see little glimpses of that in the, that hideous strength, too. They talk about, they allude to the fact that they're going to take control of education as well. And here we are. I was going to say, do you think that there are architects in the way that Lewis shows there being architects? But really, he doesn't show there being architects. He just shows a bunch of befuddled people playing games with each other. The real architect, the real architects are diabolical. No, I think that's where he makes a pretty good point. We talked earlier about the banality of evil. One thing that's funny to me, like a libertarianism. They always are assuming there's like an Illuminati, some secret group. Maybe it's not. It's extreme libertarianism. Right. But there's some group out there, the Bilderberg group or whatever, that's mm-hmm. controlling the world. And real evil is much more mundane than that. It's much more, it doesn't wear a, its face or anything on its sleeves like that. It's just uh, a bunch of befuddled, wicked men. And that's, there is no Oz behind the curtain except for the satanic forces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that world is very real. It's like what Lewis says in the, in the, in the screw tape letters, you know, the, the great scheme of, of the demonic world is to make them not believe, make us not believe in them. They're there and they are at work and, you know, we don't rest, wrestle against flesh and blood. And how easy it is for it to just become normal and to not see it 
and how easy it is to become dead to it. Well, we make fun like, of it all the time on this show when we talk about, you know, I, I almost, I didn't do it in this case, but I almost always try and bring a bad example of some academic that just says something that's just like so obviously off the wall about one of our books. Mm. But there are whole societies of people that are just like saying these things to, these insane things to each other. And they take it as normal and right. this is just well, their world. society. Yeah, and like, so you go to the academy and you there, and then they all, they'll go out and they'll get drinks together and then they have to go home and change their cat's litter box and Hitler played with his dog. Yeah, I was telling some some young kids this the other day, they, we, we tend to think of people like Hitler as if they had fangs and, you know, horns coming out of the head. Hitler painted nice paintings. They're actually pretty good. You know, for an amateur landscape painter. Great painter. Number one thing that I know him for. Um, <laughs> I won't leave that in. Um, well, the study Hitler your history for study. Study. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Somebody's going to get a hold of this and they're just going to have the snippets. <laughs> Hitler loved puppies and was a good painter. He was a good painter. Well, they also the insight that Lewis had that I just think is is is, is absolutely incredible because he just nailed it. And I don't know how he is just like it's really prophetic. Is uh, I think her name is Dopey, but Fairy Hardcastle. <laughs> the idea of that character, and I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that he was prophetic to know there would be lesbians because I'm guessing there were some back then, and she's a bit of a stereotype. But um, I, I guess because he knew Nazi Germany, he knew that these kinds of things attract sociopaths and psychopaths. And and when you when you get rid of Mark and Jane, or, or not when you get rid of Mark and Jane, when you make Mark and Jane stuff down their sexual desires and not have the good proper outlet for them, there's no telling what kind of a weird, creepy monster you're going to create. The the whole transgenderism movement fits perfectly into the NICE because your body doesn't matter. You know, being a male, being a man, being a woman doesn't matter. You know, it's the one thing I don't think Lewis saw, but if he had seen it, it would have fit perfectly. He could have written that in perfectly. He wouldn't have been surprised. It fits. I mean, Fairy Hardcastle is practically a a transvestite or transgender. That's why I wanted to cast her as a a gross man. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it was really smart of Lewis to not just show us these gray academic kind of bad guys, but to show that when those gray academic bad guys are allowed to run rampant, the kind of people that they're going to end up creating. It's like, what business does Fairy Hardcastle have have being in this organization? On the, on the face of it, none. Because she actually, she doesn't seem to really subscribe. She's a pawn. No, she's a pawn. She just gets a kick out of burning cigarettes on young women's uh, arms or whatever. Those are the kinds of people you're going to end up with if you get rid of objective value. Why does the nice hate the organic? Well, the nice hates it because they're Gnostics. So it's all about cleansing the world of, of the organic, not or not the way that we use. When we use the word organic, we think of no pesticides. Right. They're not cleansing the they world mean of no pesticides. Carbon. Right. <laughs> you know, they mean life. They mean the physical. Either way, you're dealing with an idealistic uh, purification, right? You know, you're either going to get rid of all things organic, which is this extreme, I'm going to have steel trees or whatever, or aluminum trees, or you're going to rid the world of... Uh, carbon emissions and pesticides and anything that's tainted by human touch which is demonic yeah. on either in either side it ultimately is demonic because it's it's a denial of the the world that god made god made a world that's made of stuff and the stuff that god made is good and he made men to make stuff yeah and not everything men make is good because no. men are corrupt but but satan comes to kill and and destroy and he's a murderer so life 
in all of its glory. Life is the is the you know the handiwork of God. Satan comes to destroy that. I would say fat is the handiwork of God. Sugar is the handiwork of God. Um, the ability to grow crops that are strong and productive is the work of God. In other words, you know, you see the same thing on, on either side. You see the, the what Jake was saying, the modern kind of hatred of the fruitfulness and the creativity that man's that God has built into the world is, the hatred of that is a, demo, a demonic hatred. It's a, it's a hatred of God himself. And what I think is interesting in hearing you talk about this stuff is you keep saying words like Gnostic and you just see how, and Lewis does a good job of illustrating how these people fleeing towards wrath nationalism fleeing they think away from mysticism are just running straight heading straight into another kind of mysticism that's just as demonic just as spiritually you know involves just as many blind leaps of faith and just as you know they're they're on they're in that uh who's that guy that drew those things That guy. You know the guy that drew the things? Brandon? Drew the things? Yeah. The things, they would go in, like, staircases. Oh, Escher? Yeah. Oh, M.C. Yeah. Escher. They're an sure. Escher painting. They're just... Yeah. Well, it's the kind of painting, so it's it's what, uh, what Mark finds in the objective room. That room. So you've got the surrealism. It's just trying to throw our minds off of the normal. Yeah. And that you see the attack on the normal, yes, the old line, you know, the modern morbid habit of sacrificing the abnormal on the altar, or the sacrificing the normal on the altar of the abnormal. Is that how it goes? <laughs> I like it when people get things like that backwards. So yes, um, well. it just sounds like they're saying something really obvious. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, man, I just had something I was, say, was going to say that was going to be so awesome. Um. <laughs> Jake, everyone thinks I'm awesome except for you. Um, <laughs> I, I think you're awesome. You're awesome. You're out of this galaxy, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know from you, that's high praise. You're out of this cosmos. <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to say, okay, this actually isn't that awesome. This is not like a deep spiritual point or anything, but I was going to say, I really like his, the, his description of that room and how everything's off just a little bit. Yeah. And he's been borne out by, uh, you know, what is that theory called that they have now? The Uncanny Valley. The idea that when something's... Oh! Most human, but not quite. That's the most disturbing thing. Yeah, yeah, like, the, like with the, the robots. Yeah, with, the with androids. robots or yeah. androids or with CGI. Sometimes people won't be able to watch certain movies because they'll just be creeped out by the fact that it's so close. Like in the recent Rogue One, they had those characters that were CGI. They were supposed to be human, and, and somehow you can just tell it. It's just off a little bit, yeah, and that's more it's disturbing. Not quite right. If you see like a total monster, that's one thing, but it's actually more disturbing to see something that's uh, just almost. And I'm just gonna keep doing this and make. There are lots of there are lots of things like that. I remember reading an article about the scariest height that you can be uh, standing yes. at is between thirty five and forty feet because if you're just in that skyscraper in Dubai or whatever, who cares? It's you know, you know you're gonna did. die. You know you're gonna die. That's right. But thirty five <laughs> you know to forty did. feet, your brain doesn't know what's gonna happen. Lower than that, your brain's pretty confident you're gonna survive. Higher than that, your brain's pretty confident you're gonna die. Right in that range, you're. It's freaky because you just, you don't know. I read an account of a uh, classroom in a public school here in America. I believe it was America, where they, the teacher told the students to write the name Jesus on a piece of paper and then put the piece of paper on the floor. And then guess what? Did they step on it? Stomp on it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's exactly what they have Mark, that he has Mark do at the end with the crucifix. A teacher had... Yeah. And it's to, it's to you know, break people out of their... Help them to think about things from an, an objective perspective, to not feel like, you know, 
they're wrapped up with this Christian. Well, there again, I think here it is. It's everywhere. I think Lewis had a good insight there into Mark's redemption because I've had that experience where uh, that my guts just shriveled up when you said those kids stepped on, had to step on, you know, somebody's name, and it made me think about how those experiments do fail sometimes in the same way that they fail because nobody cares about stepping on Zeus's name if you wrote on a piece of paper. Santa Claus, yeah, or Santa Claus's name. You know, no one's gonna. But when you feel the, it's you, it's 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 a boost to your faith. It can be actually in the same in the way that it is for Mark, where looking around at all the abnormal stuff, he just suddenly is hit with the certainty. Oh, I know this is abnormal. Therefore there's normal. Therefore I have to fight for it and believe in it. Why mm-hmm. is nice punished with the, uh, okay. Someone's a moron that's listening to this. Why is nice <laughs> punished with the curse of Babel? Oh, Babel. Hmm. Huh. Why is it called that hideous strength? Pray tell from some poem, isn't it? Some from poem. Yeah. Some. The shadow of, that hideous strength six miles and more in length that's the line that's the that's a pretty cool line the scottish renaissance guy can't remember his name <laughs> brendan why aren't you telling us this yeah, the yeah, yeah i don't yeah. know what's wrong with me you know scottish renaissance guys don't you it's robert burns it was not robert burns <laughs> yeah. the only scottish renaissance guy yeah as stephen told us they worship scientism and progressive thought, and they think that their intellects and their Gnostic thinking is going to save them, and that their language and their intelligence is going to save them. So And literally punished. get them to the heavens. Yeah, and so they're punished by having their speech scrambled, their thoughts scrambled, and then the nature that they thought that they could control and subdue come in and control and <laughs> subdue them <laughs> in a quite brutal and amazing fashion. Yeah, nice gory scene that he got. Then the great God omnipotent to him all things been present he see and the ambition and the prideful presumption how their proud people did pretend up through the heavens till ascend sick languages on them he laid that nain wist what ain other said where was but ain language afore god send them languages three score afore that time all spack hebrew <laughs> then some began for to speak grew <laughs> some Dutch, some language Saracen, and some began to speak Latin. The maester main gone to go wild, crying for trees, they brocked them tiled. Some said, bring mortar here at Ainz. Aye. Then brocked they to them stocks and stains. Aye. And Nimrod, their great champion, ran ragged like and wild a lion. Did what? Menacing them with oh. words rude, but never ain word they understood. Stood. Stood. Never a word they understood. I just tried to read it as phonetically as I could. I wasn't trying to. That's the that's the final uh, stanza. Like Very nice. One. Yeah, but that the the word the phrase that hideous strength comes straight from in there somewhere. And it's about the Tower of Babel. It is. Uh, it's yes. from the middle stanza. The translator of Erosius, until his chronicle writes thus that when the sun is at the hicht or height. At noon, when it doth shine, maced bright. Mm-hmm. The shadow of that hideous strength, sax, mile, and mare, it is of length. Yes, indeed. Thus may judge ye in your thought. If Babylon be heich nor nacht. 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 <laughs> Here. The only thing he, I ever got out of this podcast. He lived from 1490 to 1555. This is the only thing you ever got. <laughs> no, it's not the only thing. I just said it would be worth doing if the only thing I got was to hear a tired Jake read phonetically terrible. Um, <laughs> Ancient Scottish. Ancient Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Renaissance Scottish, anyway. Let's sum it up then, fellas. Sum it up, Brandon. Sum it up? Yep. Um, what do you want? Like, uh, me to just summarize the book? <laughs> <laughs> so, there's this girl and this guy. There's Mr. Bultitude. You want to find... Yeah, that's my final thoughts. We're just giving final thoughts yeah, now. Yeah, final thoughts. <laughs> Mr. Bultitude's amazing. <laughs> that's all my... Would you deep. recommend that hideous strength? I would wholeheartedly... Did it hold up? Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Think Lewis is a little weird sometimes. I think he's a little weird, but I like the weird. You like the weird. For anyone who likes good science fiction with some of the qualities we've seen in the other good literature we've read, good understanding of human psychology, and good point. It's worth reading. That's my tired summary right here. Yeah. Jake, virtue. What is it? <laughs> Fine. No, um... Final thoughts. Uh, yeah, I'm for people reading it, especially uh, if you're in your first couple of years of marriage. It's a good read. Yeah. Mm. Or if you're a young academic, think you're going to conquer the world. You're not. What if you've got a head in a jar that is talking to you? <laughs> especially Can I read you, this then. book too? Then I would probably try to stay away from a zoo. <laughs> Keep Mr. Bultitude away Let's for sure. Away. Did the book live up to your expectations in discussing it again, Jake? Yeah. Yes, people should read it. Book. People you don't want to. If you want to understand the erotic necessity of obedience. Mystical something or other. What's that? Mystical. Yeah. Oh, the mystical. Yeah. yeah. What was that phrase? I don't remember it. There's an extended scene in War and the Peace where they dance with a bear. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> there's, the ki- there's the connection. And in Blood Meridian, there's that dancing bear at the very end. The judge oh, is dancing yeah. with a bear. Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't understand the ending of that book. I think he killed the kid. Oh, I think so, too. But, uh, spoiler alert. I don't know why that guy was making holes and the guy was dancing with the bear. Uh, that's for another year. Well, the ambiguous ending. Ambiguous this ending. book does not have an ambiguous ending. No, it has a very unambiguous ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give the last word to Stephen, because he clearly loves this book and has had a lot of many good things to say about it. So I will give the second to last word, which is, I really like this book. It's good. Much better than those other crappy entries in the Ransom trilogy, as I like to call it. Hey, now. I'm an all-star. Get your game on. <laughs> I'm going to get my game on. By telling the truth about Lewis's crappy... Uh, I would also recommend reading The Abolition of Man. Here, here. And you can't get to this book without those first two books. So they serve a purpose. I did it. Nah. You don't think I did it? I would understand. Crap. You don't get it. I don't get it. Do you get mm-hmm. who Ransom is? Eh, some guy. Why is his foot Didn't seem hurt? that important. Why what? is his foot hurt? Because somebody hurt his foot in one of the boring books, I'm guessing. Because <laughs> he crushed the head of the serpent. Oh. Why that hurt his foot? Yeah, think about it. You oh, yeah. The serpent yeah. struck his heel or whatever. Yeah. Well, whatever. I don't care what happened to Ramson's foot. <laughs> guy was kind of a square anyway. I don't listen to people like that. I make my own destiny. <laughs> um, Stephen, final thoughts? I think what Lewis says about it is right. It's a modern fairy tale for grown-ups, and I think... So one final thought is you probably shouldn't read this book if you're like... Six. Six. Okay. Eight. Eight. Twelve. <laughs> Don't give it to your kids. Don't give it to your kids. It's not a children's book. Give no. them Narnia. Give them Narnia. You, you'll find a lot of the same kinds of things. The same ones of wisdom and for children in insight Narnia. into character, sure. But when you hear him saying this is a modern fairy tale, don't think this is all make-believe, because like I said over and over again, this is the reality of what we're living in the midst of. A lot of the stuff that, that Lewis calls us back to uh, in his way and his ability to do so, even though he was compromised in many ways, but the thing that he points us back to are right. God made this world. Jesus is the king of it. And uh, we need to live as men and women in this world in a way that honors him. That's the only That's the only hope for our society. That's why you should read it. Mm. If you don't want to be Fairy Hardcastle. No, sir. The aptly named <laughs> Fairy Hardcastle. 
<laughs> Who writes a book with a character named Fairy Hardcastle, who's the lesbian dominatrix? <laughs> what would you name her? I don't know. Well, there you go. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Fairy Hardcastle it is. <sighs> burn, burn. <laughs> <laughs> For listening to the bookening today. I'm so happy <laughs> that you listened to the bookening. And thank you for listening all the way through that end music to get to the part where I give the credits. But I'm not going to do it. Jake's going to do it. Jake, go ahead. Today's podcast was written and performed by Nathan Alberson. It was also performed by Brandon Chastine, Jake Mintzel, and Stephen Baker. For more fine content, visit warhornmedia.com or find us on social networks at warhornmedia on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And to check out more of what Stephen Baker's doing, visit clearnowpastorscollege.com. Especially if you want to be a pastor, right, Brandon? That's right. You don't want to be a pastor, though. No. You're an oil man. Why not? An oil man. Toasted cheese. An oil man. What is this toasted cheese? Toasted cheese. I drink your milkshake. Wait, no. It's the secret to long life, don't you know? (laughs) Is it the secret to long life? Is toasted cheese? Yeah, because it creates a a waterproof barrier in the stomach. Are you serious? Sure. Toasted cheese? Toasted cheese. You guys didn't read the book? What about microwave? Uh, I read the book. Toasted cheese. Oh, yeah. That's right. (laughs) It's really late. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good night, folks. Toasted cheese. We're getting out. (laughs) 